Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Aquadox, the podcast that keeps you up to date on all things aquatic medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle greenfield Feig. On this week's episode, I have the privilege of speaking with Jim Kinsler, aquarium curator at SeaWorld Orlando. Jim is going to discuss the incredible work that he and his colleagues are doing at the Florida Coral Rescue Center to help save coral. This is such an amazing step forward in caring for coral, and I'm so excited for all of you to learn more about it. So let's jump right in. Hi, Jim. Welcome to Aquadox. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. I am really excited to talk about coral with you today. I feel like it's a topic that is such an important aspect of aquatic animal life and aquatic animal health. But before we dive into the coral, can you tell our listeners about a story that really helped shape where you are today? Well, I can tell you that since I was about eight years old, we we went out and got our first aquarium in our house. And of course, that was just a small freshwater 10-gallon aquarium. And it was something that I took to very quickly. And with the support of my parents, started reading, got all kinds of little books, you know, beginner's guide to aquarium, all that good stuff. And from that point, I've been keeping aquariums in my home ever since, going on well over 40 years. And even to today, I have two reef aquariums in my home that I really enjoy working on and that passion for not only freshwater, but marine life in general has never left me. And it's something that not only did I have in my personal life, but I went to school for aquatic biology and learning in more detail the science behind the environment and the animals that we care for. And then, you know, rolled that into a career that I've stuck with ever since. So really it's that passion that I've had since I was a young fella, and it's just stuck with me ever since. That's amazing. I love the passion that everyone in this industry has, and it's all for different things. But since you work professionally with reefs and corals, and then personally as well, is there anything that's particularly different when you're caring for your two different environments? Yeah, definitely. In particular, when we talk about the subject of corals, a lot of the corals that we have as hobbyists in our personal life, they're aquaculture corals, or they should be, let's put it that way. They should be corals that are acquired through sustainable means. Aquaculture facilities are the primary example of that. And they tend to have a little more tolerance for changing parameters. So a little bit more tolerance for temperature, more tolerance for nutrients. What we've learned very quickly with corals that we care for in our rescue program, less tolerance for that. We've learned some very interesting lessons along the way with regards to that very narrow band of parameters. The corals can get easily upset. And when you think about the stability of the ocean environment or what should be a stable environment, you can see why we would need to mirror that in these rescue centers that we've had to open up as a result of this coral disease that we're dealing with. So I would definitely say that one of our big lessons or a lesson for myself is that difference between traditional aquaculture corals versus corals from the wild and their difference in tolerances. It's such an important distinction. So you're the manager of the Florida Coral Rescue Center in Orlando. So what is the center and what is your goal with the center? 
It all starts with the stony coral tissue loss disease. First and foremost, folks are probably wondering, why do you need a coral rescue center? What would be the purpose of that? Fundamentally, starting at the beginning in 2014, off the coast of Florida, down around the Miami area, biologists and researchers discovered a new coral disease. Now, there are several coral diseases out there in the environment, but this was something novel. In this particular disease, the stony coral tissue loss disease, is a very aggressive waterborne disease that has attacked 20 of the 45 reef building species out there on the Florida reef track. The Florida reef track itself is about 360 miles long. It starts in Martin County on our southeast coast of Florida and stretches all the way through the Florida Keys and out to the Dry Tortugas. And it's a significant environment, as you can imagine. Coral Reef is home to about 25% of the species we find in the green environment. And when this disease was first discovered and they started tracking the disease, they noticed very quickly that not only does it spread fast, but of the species that it affects, it's very aggressive in the sense that once a colony contracts the disease, it has almost a 90% mortality rate. The disease itself moves very quickly depending on the size of the coral colony that is infected. It can take anywhere from days, weeks, or months for it to completely wipe out that entire colony. So around 2018, it was determined by Florida DEP, Florida FWC, and NOAA Fisheries that there wasn't anything in the field directly they could do to combat the disease. Think of it very loosely in the sense of a wildfire burning its way through a forest. This disease was burning its way through the Florida reef track at a very rapid rate. And at that point, they decided that they needed to start pulling healthy coral colonies off the reef. And at that time, they engaged the Association of Zoos and Aquariums and said, hey, you've got a lot of coral expertise at your constituent facilities. We would like to engage those facilities in a coral rescue effort. And that meant that we needed to develop and build coral holding facilities to be able to bring some of these representative colonies, not only the species that were affected, but we're also dealing with numerous genotypes within each species. And that's when SeaWorld and its partners decided to acquire and open the Florida Coral Rescue Center. And the partnership that we developed specifically for that facility was between SeaWorld, Disney Conservation, the Fish and Wildlife Foundation of Florida, and the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, along with, of course, Florida's FWC and NOAA Fisheries. So to date, we have about 700 coral colonies at the FCRC. As of last year, six of those 18 species that we have on hand have bond for us, which is really exciting. So the need for the coral rescue response has to do with this very novel disease that is decimating the Florida reef tract. So you have over 700 different colonies in the FCRC. So what happens then? You've acquired these, they're spawning, this is amazing. Obviously the goal would be reintroduction, but how are you attempting to do that if the disease is still a wildfire spreading all through the ocean? Yeah, there are universities and researchers who are looking at the field itself. They're looking at the Florida reef track and determining how this 
disease is moving? Has it subsided in certain locations? Which again, to our knowledge, it has not. Part of that's because of the compromised coral colonies that are out there. We haven't really circled back and tried to outplant just yet in some of these locations. In totality, though, we have about 2,500 coral colonies in 22 different facilities throughout the U.S., primarily in the southeastern U.S., with the bulk of those coral colonies in the state of Florida. These coral colonies that we currently have at these facilities, these are what we consider the founders. So what we would like to see, and our colleagues at the Florida Aquarium have been advancing this effort significantly, the propagation of these corals. That's to create the right conditions for these coral colonies to reproduce sexually so that we can get the right genetic makeup of those offspring and be able to ultimately outplant those offspring back to the reef. So as long as this disease persists, and we don't see any changes that might curtail the presence of this disease or what have you, these founder colonies will most likely stay at these facilities for a significant period of time. But again, the goal is to reproduce these coral colonies, to have them spawn for us in managed care, settle the larvae, allow the larvae to grow into young corals, and our colleagues at Florida FWC and NOAA Fisheries will direct collaboratively to outplant these baby corals back to the reef. Now, as you said, with the presence of the disease, that becomes somewhat problematic. Yeah, because that was my question as you were just talking. You have now these corals in your possession that you'd like to reintroduce, but is there any risk that they potentially have underlying disease that they've been hiding, in which case when you do put them back out into the ocean, they're actually spreading that disease to a previously naive population in these areas that are without disease? Well, based on the way the disease presents itself, at least clinically, there seems to be no evidence thus far of latency. So at least right now, the corals that we currently have in our care at the various facilities across the program, they've been in, in these holding facilities long enough that we've not seen them break with this disease in any way whatsoever, which has been great. The Florida FWC and NOAA Fisheries were very, very careful about acquiring corals to bring into safekeeping well ahead of the disease line. There was literally a disease front, if you will, moving through the Florida reef track, and they were miles ahead of that disease front acquiring these corals. So as of now, there hasn't been any evidence whatsoever to suggest that the current corals that are in holding carry the disease in any way. Well, that's great news. And then with the coral that you have in holding right now, at what point do you think you're going to be able to reintroduce them? Are we thinking in the like one to two years, five to 10 years, 20 to 30 years? What's our general timeline we're hoping for? Well, I can tell you that currently Florida FWC, NOAA Fisheries, along with the Florida Aquarium and some other folks, they have reintroduced some corals at this point. They've reintroduced some young corals that have come through the program. Again, the Florida Aquarium has been leading the charge on coral propagation. And when you think about it, Anytime a coral spawns, or colonies spawn rather, you're producing thousands and tens of thousands of offspring. So there's lots of coral babies to go around, if you will. And so the reintroduction of these corals has many facets 
to it because again, this is new. This is all novel work. There has been some work done in other coral species in different locations around the world. But for these particular species, this is the first time they've been reintroduced into an environment as young corals. So there's a lot to learn aside from just the impact of the disease itself or whether they would be susceptible to the disease. We also have other environmental factors, predators even, that need to be accounted for. And so that work is ongoing. There's a lot of R&D that has to go into the reintroduction side of the project. And that's a focal point of our state and federal colleagues right now is determining best practices for that effort. Amazing. And I've personally been to the Florida Aquarium's facility where they are doing that. And I can say it's truly incredible work. And I mean, the same for you guys, this whole collaboration is phenomenal and what you're accomplishing on such a large scale in order to preserve these species. It's truly incredible. So thank you for, for all that you're doing. Absolutely. And again, this is one of those situations where whether it's the rescue work that SeaWorld as an organization performs on an annual basis, we're rescuing manatees, sea turtles, cetaceans, pinnipeds, birds, you name it, along with our colleagues in the zoo and aquarium field doing some of the same work. But this is very interesting because with regards to the corals and the Florida reef track, this is the first time we've really been involved in rescuing an entire ecosystem. So we're very excited to be a partner in a very, very large rescue effort. And it's something that we're very excited to not only participate in, but help in getting the message out. And we're also on the verge of opening a new coral rescue center here at SeaWorld Orlando. And that's something we're very excited about because not only is that going to be an extension of the Florida Coral Rescue Center as far as giving us more footprint to manage the corals, but it's going to be very critical in getting the message out because it's something that is not very well understood by the public, even to the most basic idea of what a coral actually is. A lot of folks believe that corals are a plant or they are a very slimy rock, and they really don't understand that it's a colonial animal that's critically important to the marine environment. So there's a lot of messaging to be done there as well. That's amazing. I think the guest-facing opportunities are just so important for educating people about these critical missions. That's why we do this podcast as well. So I know this center just recently opened. When did it open and when were guests able to come see this amazing work that you and your team are doing? Yeah, we're very excited. The SeaWorld's Coral Rescue Center opened in June 2023. And it's really exciting because it's our first opportunity to show this coral rescue effort in more of a public-facing atmosphere. And what's really neat is the Coral Rescue Center is part of our overall coral rescue facility. So not only will our guests who come through the gate get to see these at-risk corals and really understand exactly what's going on with the Florida Reef Track and the overall coral rescue effort. They also get to meet with our coral biologists and talk to them firsthand, but they also get to see examples of our other rescue efforts. They get to see sea turtles as well as manatees. So the entire SeaWorld rescue facility is going to be a really neat feature for our guests and to really make that connection on how we impact the environment. It's amazing. Are there certain things that you're doing differently because it's guest facing versus not? No, in fact, this coral rescue facility at SeaWorld is going to have the same operational mandate that the Florida Coral Rescue Center has. It's a fully functional rescue facility that's going to carry on all of the assessment work, all of the coral husbandry and coral welfare work that we do at the FCRC. So cool. Well, clearly you have to get down there. 
Is there anything else about the FCRC you wanted to talk about before we transition over to the Restoring Resilient Reefs Act? Yeah, with regards to the Florida Coral Rescue Center, that was step one, was to be able to get the corals in safekeeping, ensure their day-to-day husbandry and care, make sure that the colonies are growing and they're robust and things are all going well. The next step, though, is SeaWorld and its partners very much like to continue with that program and move to the next phase where we will begin propagating corals. We would very much like to have a second facility The current facility, the FCRC is about 2,000 square feet. We would like a second 2,000 square foot facility specifically designated for propagation and grow out. So we would like to spawn the corals at the FCRC and be able to settle and raise their offspring in a second facility. So that's our next goal on the list to be able to move forward in the program. That's amazing. It's such great to hear. And we'll have to call you back in another couple of years and hear about your new building that you got for the propagation. And so I think this is just the start of an amazing story that's going to continue to go on for years to come for the sake of the corals. So there's another huge, important thing that you've been working on that is important to discuss as well, and that is the Restoring Resilient Reefs Act. So can you describe to our listeners what that is and why it's so important for the conservation of corals? Absolutely. The Restoring Resilient Reefs Act, which was signed into law by President Biden in December 2022, essentially reauthorizes the Coral Reef Conservation Act, which was back in 2000. Several legislators, in particular, Senator Marco Rubio, Senator Rick Scott, and our Congressman Darren Soto have been key players in getting that push through Congress. And what it does is reauthorizes the that Coral Reef Conservation Act and empowers NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. It gives them more funding to allocate to state-level agencies to be able to put more money, more funding through coral restoration efforts. And so we're very excited about it. We've actually hosted Congressman Soto on a couple of occasions. He's been to the Florida Coral Rescue Center, and we've talked with him quite a bit. He and his colleagues in the Senate are very passionate about what's happening in Florida with the Florida Reef Track. And so this act empowers NOAA to provide block grant programs, which we're very hopeful that we can participate in and receive some funding for us and our partners to be able to open a new 2,000 square foot propagation facility would be something that's right in the wheelhouse of that funding effort. And so we're very interested to hopefully benefit from that. It's the natural next step with this coral rescue effort to be able to propagate the corals and then ultimately return them back to the Florida reef track. And so you mentioned that this is continuing the previous Coral Conservation Reef Act. So what did that do to protect the coral? Yeah, it provided funding for not only the federal and state agencies, but they were also able to provide funding for research and field work that was ongoing. A lot of the work that's happened to identify stony coral tissue loss disease, I would presume received some funding. And so based on what's happening with the Florida Reef Track, as well as issues that have been popping up in Hawaii, they determined that a reauthorization of that act, as well as additional funding, was going to be necessary to tackle these issues that have popped up 
the funding, which will not only provide for research and hopefully the coral rescue program, but it's also outreach. It's also communication. It's also hitting those local areas like the Florida Keys to be able to talk to residents about the environmental impacts that certain activities can have on the health and welfare of the corals. So I would say that the Restoring Resilient Reef Act is very broad. That's great because I feel like there's a lot of people who care about coral, but don't necessarily know what they can do to help. And so I was fortunate that when I was spending a summer down in the Keys, I was able to join the Coral Restoration Foundation for a day and go out diving and help with some of the planting. So if we do have listeners who have listened to your story and are inspired and they want to do what they can to help, what are some of the things that you would recommend that they can do or reach out to if they want to get more involved? There's some really good information out there. MyFWC.com is a great source. That's the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission page. FWC Coral Rescue or NOAA Coral Rescue will get you a lot of really good information. But in particular, awareness is very fundamental as far as knowing how we impact the environment. Knowing how we utilize water in a day-to-day basis is significant. In the state of Florida, some of the concerns that we have have to do with runoff off has to do with nutrient levels coming from our waterways out into the ocean. Being aware of that, plastics, of course, is a very popular topic, microplastics especially. The awareness of how you impact the environment on a day-to-day basis is truly significant, and it's very important that folks don't underestimate that. It can have to do with the amount of trash that you produce in a day or where your water goes, how much water you use, any of those things. And obviously, our behavior in and around the ocean environment is significant. So when you think about this disease, although we don't truly know what caused this disease, it could very well be something that's been present in the environment for decades, maybe even longer. But it's very clear that changes in the environment, changes in the climate has potentially allowed this disease to get a foothold. And it's possibly reduced the resistance, the immunoresponse of the corals and allowed it to take a foothold and now has become devastatingly prevalent in the Florida reef tract. So having spent the majority of your career working with coral and trying to save this huge ecosystem, is there anything that has stuck out or surprised you along this journey? I would definitely say that it's how all of these different organizations are able to come together and work together. In particular, I have to note the Florida DEP, Florida FWC, NOAA Fisheries, and AZA. That collaboration and that willingness to work together, having state and federal government agencies, NGOs, private entities all working together has blown me away. And even down to the point of the Florida Coral Rescue Center, we have four distinct organizations working together to make it viable. And although this disease is devastating and it has a very traumatic effect on the Florida reef track and the ocean environment as a whole, I'm very hopeful because I look at the effort that all of these organizations, the field work that's being done and the university level research that's being done, our state and federal legislators are jumping in and they're very focused and passionate and they're trying to get us the funding to be able to move forward. And 
I would just say that the response of especially the last three years has been incredible. And I'm very proud of our team. I'm very proud of our partners. And I think that seeing a response like this to something that's so critical and could potentially be so devastating is in fact inspiring. So I'm very excited to be a part of it. Well, I'm truly inspired by everything that you've shared today about your work with the FCRC and your work with SeaWorld and all of your partners. It's an incredible story. And I know that our listeners are also going to find this amazing. So before we close out, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners today? Certainly. With regards to this coral rescue effort, this is just one example of how our zoos and aquariums across the nation and around the world support the environment. And it's that expertise that we have at these facilities that we're able to respond to something so critical like this coral disease that we're dealing with in Florida and throughout the Caribbean. And I would invite people to visit these facilities, especially SeaWorld Orlando, and come visit our coral rescue center so you can speak to our biologists and learn more about corals themselves, how important they are, and the impact that these environmental stressors can have on the natural environment and what we can do to help. Amazing. Well, as soon as I'm able to get down to Florida, I look forward to visiting and talking with you and your coral biologists and seeing all the great work you've done. Thank you very much, Michelle. I really enjoyed my time. And before we close, There's an upcoming One Health webinar hosted by the Cornell Wildlife Health Center on Thursday, October 12th at 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. From avian influenza to SARS-CoV-2 to chronic wasting disease, there's no shortage of current threats to the health of our wildlife species across every biome and species, with many of these threats affecting agriculture and public health as well. Join the Cornell Wildlife Health Center with Drs. Steve Osofsky, Kristen Schuler, and Jennifer Bloodgood as they share their experiences from the field and the lab to illustrate how the health of wildlife and our own health are inextricably linked. Registration is free and the link is included in the episode notes. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Aquadocs. I'd like to thank Jim Kinsler for being on the show this week, as well as thank all of you, our wonderful listeners, for tuning in. Thank you to our sponsors, AAFE, the American Association of Fish Veterinarians, WAVMA, the World Aquatic Veterinary Medical Association, and the Cornell Wildlife Health Center for their continued support of Aquadox. As always, check out our Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on the latest Aquadox news. And if you've got an extra moment, please like and follow us on Apple and Spotify and leave a review if you've got time. I'm Michelle Greenfield-Feig. We'll see you next time here on Aquadox.